if you were hanging off the side of a cliff by a rope uh-huh. and a thousand feet beneath you was a rocky bluff and you're holding on for dear life and you had the opportunity at the other end of your rope to see one person holding on for you, who is that person in your life? Who is the person that would go down to the bottom with you before they would ever let you go? Who is the person that has the mental, physical, spiritual, emotional qualities to hold your rope? Welcome to the Founders Journey Podcast. Inspiration, education for founders by founders. Welcome back to the Founders Journey Podcast. I'm Greg Moran. I am uh, I am co-hostless, if that's a word, this week. Uh, Peter Dean is not here, but uh, but that's okay. Peter misses out. We've got a great guest this week. That um, thrilled uh, thrilled to have him on here. Uh, Chris Valletta is uh, founder of Mission.com. Uh, beside that, he's actually a pretty boring guy, I'd say, Chris, with not not a whole lot else going on, right? Uh, I guess. Unless you think, you know, being an award-winning entrepreneur, author of a couple of business books and a children's book along the way, a TED speaker, a former NFL player, commentator on CNN, Fox News, a bunch of other places, and a uh, former contestant on The Apprentice are interesting, um, then I guess Chris might have a, have a couple things going on. Interestingly, if his name sounds familiar and you don't recognize him from, uh, from TV, you may recognize his last name because this is, the fir- this is a first. We actually interviewed Chris's wife, Lily Valletta, on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago. So Chris, welcome to uh, Founders Journey Podcast. Awesome to have you. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. And um, I hate that I had to follow my wife. Usually <laughs> I like going ahead of her, but um, it's all good. I'm, I'm glad. It's a, we'll keep it in the family. Good to be here, man. Thank you. Being the guy who interviewed your wife a couple of weeks ago, Chris, I, I'm going to actually agree with you on that. I think you have big shoes to fill in here. So uh... I, sure, I sure do. I'm really proud of Lily. You know, she, as you probably heard, uh, you know, she came to the U S when she was 17 from South America and, and did not know the language, did not know the culture, did not know the people, didn't know anybody. She literally showed up with a suitcase and a student visa and has gone on to, 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 literally personify the American dream and now has a, a thriving business with a hundred plus employees and is just making an impact in the world through what she does for a living. And it's beyond inspiring to be around somebody like that because they've, she is one of the very few people I have found in life that have figured out a way to marry their work to impact and to, and there's a term she used. I, I, Quite certain she probably used it with you, but but the term purposeful profits yeah. is is her north star, and it's incredible. Um, and if more companies took that approach, I think we we'd have a much different country that we live in today. So anyway, I'm I'm very happy and proud to be here, and I will uh, I'll carry the family torch as best I can. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, we'll uh, we'll put you side by side. We'll rate you against each other afterwards. So we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Um, so Chris, tell us about. Um, mission.com. What got you passionate about this? What got you, uh, what got you down the road to starting it? Sure. So, so the brand is mission. Um, and yes, mission.com is our, is our website. Uh, I'm a co-founder of the company, my partner, founder, 
uh, Josh, you know, he knocked on my apartment door in 2008. We actually lived in New York city. I, I lived in the same apartment building he did. And he knocked on my door. And when I opened the door, he looked at me and he said, we're starting a company for athletes. And I said, okay. I mean, you know, that that's congruent to, uh, to me and, and what I, what I'm all about. I have a background as an athlete, so that works. What's the business? <laughs> and the idea was really simple at the time. It was, you know, athletes beat up their bodies more than anybody. They're exposed to the elements, you know, uh, to a greater degree than people who aren't pro athletes. And so we, we wanted to go and, and figure out if we could create product solutions that solve problems unique to athletes, um, that are better than anything that exists in the market today, we could take those same solutions and bring them to the rest of the market as a, you know, if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for you. And so we started assessing all of the problems athletes deal with. Um, and you know, whether it's grip on a piece of equipment they're holding or traction or physiological monitoring, there's a lot of things that athletes have to deal with that are unique to them and not the rest of the population. And there was one sort of in our, in our research, there was just one glaring component and, um, and a threat that athletes faced to a degree that I was keenly aware of as, in, you know, during my time as a football player, but wasn't necessarily so in tune with how the rest of the athlete community felt. And that was the threat of, of heat yeah. and the, the weather conditions on your ability to stay comfortable, to stay safe, and also improve your performance. And when we zeroed in on heat as sort of the problem, we then created a game plan to go create a set of solutions to address it. And that's what we've done at Mission is, uh, you know, over the last 15 years, we've become the U.S. market leader in producing wearable cooling innovations that were built and tested and proven on the best athletes in the world. And because of that, they now are good for you, whether you're, you know, five years old playing soccer or whether you're a day laborer on the, you know, putting asphalt on a highway in Texas, or you're 90 years old out for a speed walk in Florida, the heat is a major threat. Um, it, it's uncomfortable, it's unsafe, and it impacts our health. And we create a, a whole line of solutions that keep you more comfortable, are proven to actually improve your safety. And if you uh, do it the right way, you'll actually improve your performance. And so when we started the company, it was, let's talk to people like Serena Williams, Drew Brees, Dwayne Wade, those are the three pro athletes that actually we started the company with. And we're talking to people like Serena, who, you know, at the time she was playing at the Australian Open. It's 130 degrees on the surface of the court. And we know that the science shows that someone at moderate activity in 93 degrees or greater for a period of 30 to 45 minutes, that activity, your performance declines by up to 50%. And yeah. so for someone at an, as an elite athlete, who's looking for every edge to improve their performance. If we could solve that for her, imagine what we could do if you're going out in the backyard to build a fence or mow the grass or you're uh, someone going to work. And so that's what we've been able to prove. And, and today missions distributed worldwide. We're sold in 25,000 stores in the United States, big online presence with our website and a great team to boot. So it's been a fun business and in a category that's emerging and that we just happen to be first movers in. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's amazing, you know, so you talk about kind of the entrepreneurial journey, right? And, and really narrowing down on a, on a really highly differentiated problem area, right? And then finding that, yeah. finding that market, I think it's, it's kind of, it's textbook. I mean, I've had 
up until about probably six years ago, um, competed in kind of long distance triathlon. And, you know, yeah. the, the issue, the issue there was always like, you know, people would say, well, how do you train for an Ironman or something like that? And say, like you, anybody can do an Ironman as long as you, you can survive the heat and you can get your body fueled. Yeah. Right. It, the rest of it, it kind of takes care of your body will keep moving as long as you yeah. don't have a heat stroke in the middle of it, it or, you know, or, and, or and you I, get enough calories in. Well, and it's a perfect Ironman and triathlon is a perfect example. You know, when you, when you start a race, you usually warm up. I would imagine you maybe ran a mile or two, get your body loose, get your body moving. By the time you start that race, your internal core body temperature is elevated. You know, you walk around at 98.6, just like all of us do. But the second you get out of bed and your feet hit the floor, your body is a heat engine. It starts to produce heat because it's, it's got to operate in your systems. Yeah. Your body has an internal mechanism to control that. That's why we sweat. It's it's our own sort of internal air conditioning. But you started those triathlons. I guarantee you started at probably 100 to 101 degrees. Right. By the time you get to 103, your body physiologically will begin to break down. Now, the duration of time that it takes to break down is dependent a lot on your conditioning. Uh, But your body breaks down. And so for us... What we wanted to do is figure out, could I extend that time to exhaustion just a little bit further? Can I right. give people like you added pace in your, in your triathlon? Can I give Serena an extra step in the third set at the Australian Open? That's what we were maniacally focused on. And it's analogous in more ways than I can count to what it takes to break through and start a business from the start. You know as, as you know, you've been in business, right? It's the, the, the difference between success and failure or the way I like to call it between, you know, winning versus winning a Super Bowl, right? right. Or, you know, whatever that is, that gap is infinitely deep, but it's only inches wide. You know, in sports, there's a expression that athletes use. It's, you know, it's a game of inches, you know, a receiver might miss a pass off his fingertips or, um, you know, someone may, you know, uh, she may shoot a, a soccer goal and it, it may go off the corner of the, the, the goal and just hit the post and go outside or the same thing with a field goal kicker. I mean, on and on and on. It's a game of inches. Yeah. And that, ca- that chasm between success and failure or winning and winning big, again, is infinitely deep, but it's really only this, this wide, inches wide. And what can you do to close that gap and to, and to bring those two together to improve your chances of success? That's where I spend the majority of my time. And believe it or not, it's not so necessarily so much in the tactical. It's not so much in knowing what to do as a business. It's more in knowing how to do it. Yep. Uh, and that is the mindset. That is quite literally the DNA of the people in the business. Yeah, and that and, and absolutely, and that's a great segue. So you wrote a book a uh, year ago, two years ago, I think. Actually, uh, it was published in 2015. Was the teamwork? So yep. yeah, so teamworks, right? And and really around how do you build championship winning teams? And you reference this very humbly, but your business partners are literally world championship athletes yep. in mission, right? And you know, Dwayne Wade, Serena Williams. Drew Brees, not every founder is going to be able to do that, but every founder I think can really focus on because that game of inches is really around the, the team you build is ultimately what's going to, what's going to make that difference. 
talk about your experience there. How did you how did you build that team and and it, you know and how how do other founders kind of take that experience even if they don't need to go out and get you know world renowned athletes they can still get those champions that can really build that sure. team. No, it's a, it's a great question and I'm I'm really glad you asked it because it gives me the opportunity to share uh, a, a philosophy that was given to me by my high school football coach when I was 16 years old. And this philosophy of personal accountability and leadership principles was simple in its explanation, mm -hmm. but life-changing in its application. And it is, has become since then the, the operating system upon which I built my personal life, my, any, anything I've ever done in business. So I, I would love to share that with you and, and your, your audience, because you know, it requires a little bit of imagination, Greg. So maybe you can go there with me because, uh, yeah. you know, this is, this is an audience of one for me, but, um, <laughs> you, you could play the role. So Greg, if you were hanging off the side of a cliff by a rope uh -huh. and a thousand feet beneath you was a rocky bluff. And you're holding on for dear life. And you have the opportunity at the other end of your rope to see one person holding on for you. Who is that person in your life? Who is the person that would go down to the bottom with you before they would ever let you go? Who is the person that has the mental, physical, spiritual, emotional qualities? to hold your rope. Because if I ask people, what would you want in that person? Like what qualities would you want in that person? Some people would say, I want someone really strong. <laughs> like someone that can physically like do the job, right? Right. And that's, a, that's critically important. You know, strength is a prerequisite to hold, to hold your rope. But what I learned was that while strength is important, alone it's not, it, it's not sufficient because strong arms without a strong mind are absolutely meaningless once right. fatigue and pain start to set in. Yep. So Greg, I, I'll just put you on the spot. If who, what qualities would you want in your rope holder? Yeah, I mean, it would definitely be my wife. Um, and yeah, I mean, obviously physical strength would be helpful if I'm dangling off the side of a cliff and, uh, but I mean, it's certainly the strength of character certainly somebody who's not going to, who's not going to give up and who's going to ha actually have the strength of character to hang in there as long as they need to hang in there. Uh, That's it. Yep. You know, for me, that would be my, that would be my answer. It's a great answer um, because, you, and you encompassed a lot with the word character, and I'm glad you used it because it's a great, it's a great word as a catch-all um, because when you unpack the word character, right, you start to realize what makes up the character of someone that would go down to the bottom of that bluff with you before they'd ever let you go. Someone that has the ability to make that choice. And there's words that would describe the types of qualities you'd want in that character. You'd want dedication discipline, desire, uh, someone who knows how to handle adversity, someone who knows how to perform under pressure, someone who can respond in a difficult situation, a challenging situation. Um, you'd want someone that is coachable, someone that listens, someone that loves, someone that cares. Um, you know, 
these rope holder qualities that I just outlined were the, this was the story my high school football coach was trying to get across to me because he was saying that, look, your talent as a football player, you know, paralleling that to your strength as a rope holder, right? Your talent as a football player is important, but it is not sufficient. And if you want to have a successful team, if you want to be able to overcome uh, challenging situations and handle adversity, you must have a rope holder mindset. You must develop the qualities that are going to sustain you for the long term so that others look to you as someone they can rely on, someone that they can depend on, someone that will hold their rope when they need it held. And you want to surround yourself with these people because guess what? You're going to need someone to hold your rope too. And right. this is a reciprocal relationship because that's what a team is. A team, if we use the acronym, together each achieves more. And if you're not together, you can't achieve more. And the right. only way to be together is to have a commitment in shared values to each other. And it's, it's themes like that where you see on paper, mm -hmm. they should get dominated by someone else. Right. But they don't. They don't get dominated because they don't quit. They don't give in. They don't let go of your rope. And the biggest problem in businesses today is a lack of commitment and a lack of personal accountability to being a rope holder. It doesn't mean my personal accountability to a business. It's my personal accountability to myself. Yeah. Because I know if I bring in the right people with the right character, that that will serve our purpose as a team in much greater detail and together each will achieve more. My game will elevate if your game is elevated. And that's just a fact. And we've, there's countless examples of how when you get into an environment with people that might be better than you, smarter than you, more talented than you, there's those that put on the facade and kind of stand up and say, well, I'm, you know, they, they try to position themselves above because there's an ego element to it. When that gets shed away and you get a group of people that have talent, they have strength, man, they have all those character qualities that we just talked about. It is an absolute recipe for success. You've heard it said before by some people, yeah. um, you know, I'd much rather have a C student, you know, that's committed and determined and articulate and can speak well. I'd much rather have a C student with those qualities than an A student that doesn't. I'd much rather have using another football analogy, you know, I, I would, it, it's, it's quite literally like having, um, you might have the best throwing quarterback in the world, but if you're a running offense, that might be a challenge. Or you may have the best running quarterback in the world who can scramble and make crazy things happen. But if they're selfish and egotistical and only in it for themselves, the team is not going to want to play for them to the degree to which they're capable. And so that rope holder mindset, uh, while it was taught to me in the context of a sport, quite literally became the operating system because it, it was my playbook. It was, all right, if, if I just, if I create these values for myself and do my best to align myself with people that share those values, we know that we can make an impact in anything that we do. When you're running your kind of day-to-day, -day, right? You're building mission, you're, you're hiring, you're building your teams, you're, you're doing things like that. Talk about just on a, you know, on a really tactical level, how are you seeing that manifested in the business? I mean, how do you... How do you think about that and how you recruit, who you recruit, 
how you develop leaders, things like that? It's a great question. It always, 100% of the time, in my opinion, always comes down to people. Everything from a leadership perspective and starting a business is about people. And it's not just the people in your organization. It's the people outside your organization, your vendors, your partners, your relationships. The people are the secret sauce to any successful equation in business, full stop. And what I mean by that is, you know, early on, um, when you're building something that's never been done and you're starting a company that's never existed and no one knows your, the story, you know, it goes back to you having to have the ability to articulate the vision in a way that demonstrates your values and simultaneously demonstrates the value proposition of the business. Yeah. And so the unique thing that I had with mission is it was highly personal to me. You know, I dealt, I was an offensive lineman in the NFL. I dealt with the heat on a daily basis. Yeah, you know, I, I would be in New Orleans where it was 110 degrees and humidity and I would lose 15, 16 pounds in one practice just from sweating so much. I dealt with the heat. I, I, I personally experienced it. And so, you know, one of the big things that, that we focus on is the ability for you to, to share the why, you know, Simon Sinek's yeah. uh, famous yeah. book, Start With Why. Um, it, his Ted talk, uh, I can't remember what year it came out. It's been several years now, but his oh, Ted talk more than a, it's more than a decade now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that, that sort of codified yeah. everything that I was talking about and it blew my mind. And I'm just such a huge fan of his because, you know, in that he talked about people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. Right. And so if you have the ability to shift the order of information and not just go out and spit facts and figures and tell people how good your product is, but really give them a reason why, like, what do you believe? What is your cause? What is your purpose? You know, and he gives the example, you know, Martin Luther King, he gave the, I have, you know, he gave the, I have a dream speech. He didn't give the, I have a plan speech. The, the Wright brothers were, you know, two, you know, high school graduates. They didn't have college degrees. They were in a bike shop. It made no money, and they figured out how to get a plane off the ground when Samuel Pierpont Langley, who no one's heard of, was funded by the War Department, was on the board of like Harvard and the Smithsonian, had every resource at his disposal. But Langley was chasing fame and fortune, and the Wright brothers were chasing a vision that would change the course of human history. Yeah. And when you are able to articulate that vision to a degree that inspires um, others, you then get others of, of equal, if not greater talent, ability, and uh, rope holder qualities to join that cause. And that was, that's been probably the biggest way we developed from the very beginning. It was articulating a vision in a way that brought people into the fold. And then once they're into the fold and they believe, it's giving tactical step-by-step -step solutions on how we execute together. And in that execution, we're going to fail. Mm -hmm. We're going to get knocked down. We're going to get beat up. We're going to be pushed back on our, you know, in our, in our own uh, end zone sometimes, but that's okay because this is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. This is a four quarter game, not a one quarter game. So when you take the approach that you understand failure is part of this process, but it's not the result. The result is identified through the, through the vision that we're trying to create. And the result, in my opinion, is inevitable if you have the right people uh, with the right mindset and the right value system alongside you for that journey. 
you summarize this really well, right? Because there's there, there's this one superpower that I think great founders possess, right? And that is the ability to tell their story in a really authentic yeah. way. It's you know it's not a it's not a um, a coincidence that founders are usually the best salespeople for their company, right? They can tell a story in such a in such a different and really powerful way because it is that personal. I think one of the things that's happened in the past decade or so, and, and I'm not saying this addressed at anybody in particular, but as the you know as private equity and the growth of private equity has come in. Some of that, you know, it's it's interesting when you start to see like the you know businesses that were sort of founded and built on that authenticity. But when you start to have that kind of flow, and I say this as a VC, right? That's what I do for a living now. So you know, you have this flood of capital come in. I think it's really easy to kind of lose that why, where the why becomes. You started off this podcast by talking about purposeful profits. Both you and Lily talked about that. Yeah, it's easy to lose that. Right. And when you lose that, you lose that essence of the of the business in so many ways, yeah. that essence of the team. There's no doubt. And ultimately, culture, whether it's in business and life and politics, you know, whatever it might be. Culture is beliefs influencing beliefs. Right. Beliefs come from character. Character comes from values. Values comes from leadership. So mm-hmm. your, your values, I would, you know, the leadership I had, my parents, the coach who talked to me about being a rope holder, you know, those, those leaders in my life helped shape my values, which informed my character, which then, um, you know, helps shape the way in which I would operate within an existing cultural system. And culture, you know, this is not my expression. I, I heard it. I'm not even sure who said it. But it does sum up the sort of tenets of how important culture is in business. And this person told me once that culture is the immune system of your organization. And if you think about culture, again, beliefs influencing beliefs as the immune system. And then you put, you compare that to what we know about our immune system, right? If I drink Coca-Cola and eat nothing but Doritos. I'll get sick. Mm-hmm. Garbage in, garbage out. Right? Yep. But if I feed and fuel my immune system with the right things, then it'll thrive and it'll thrive even in the face of a threat, like a virus. Yep. How many times is there that one person in an organization that that's the virus? Yeah. And, and by the way, no one has a 1,000 batting record in hiring. Right, you think you're hiring a rope holder, you think you're hiring a culture leader, and you just don't. You miss. It happens 100 percent of the time. Sure, it's it's the reason behind the expression: hire slow, fire fast. Right, absolutely. Right. So, yeah. uh, be, but if the culture is established from the jump, and I want to be very clear, culture is fed and led by the founders or the leaders of the organization. And it is a daily, habitual exercise. Yeah. Culture is the most important thing in the organization, culture and people. So if you have a rich sort of uh, a strong culture in your organization with people of like-minded values marching together, 
and a virus enters the picture. Think about our immune system. What happens when, you know, a virus enters our system? You may feel it. You may not feel so great, but your immune system overcomes it, attacks right. it, eats it up, spits it out. If you've got the right structure, those types of viruses cannot last in the organization. They literally weed themselves out. And so it's why, you know, my wife's company, it's why that's all she'll talk about. Her job as a leader is to uh, reinforce culture and build capacity for people so that, so that people have the ability to express their talents in a way that are, is going to serve the North Star of the business. And so I'm, I'm huge on this. One of the things I've always said about my, my last company, and it was, you know, by any sort of measure, it was, it was successful, but we didn't have the world's greatest products. They weren't the world's most innovative products. They weren't, we didn't outsell everybody else. We didn't outmarket everybody else, but what we had was exactly that. We had this culture that was so powerful it became, that actually became the fuel in the engine of the business. Yeah. And you see that, you see that so often, you also see the reverse, right? And one of the things that I tell founders all the time is your culture is going to be the magnification of your beliefs. It's going to be the magnification of you, right? So if you look at your culture and you like what you see, great. It's a magnification of what you're putting out. If you're looking at your culture and you can't stand what you see, it's a magnification of what you're putting out, right? Absolutely. It goes back to that founder in, in these earlier founder-led businesses. That changes over time as they get bigger. But but man, I mean, that that magnification, the intensity of that magnification is, uh, is unbelievable. And you see it work in both it directions. Is. It is. And I believe, uh, you know, Obviously, we're, we've both been in business a long time, and, and you sort of see the trends and shifts happening in the market uh, ac across industry. When it, when it comes to culture, and now I'm speaking much more broadly, I'm talking about culture in business, culture in families, cultures in government. And if you just look at where the culture of our country is right, I believe we're, we're witnessing the greatest cultural erosion of leadership in the history of mankind. Mm -hmm. I believe that, that we're facing one of the greatest threats that we've ever faced as a country. And that threat is the erosion of leadership in our businesses, our families, and our governments. Um, you know, I'll, I'll leave the government stuff aside, but I think, if, <laughs> I think it's safe to say that like, there's an enormous lack of leadership uh, in government on both sides. But it, it's not, that's not a left or right thing. Yeah. Uh, but in business in particular, there was a survey that was done by PwC where they do an annual CEO survey. And, you know, they, they study everything. And PwC did a survey of CEOs and asked them, what is the greatest threat to business today? And 77% of them said, the number one threat facing businesses today is not a lack of technical skills. It's not a lack of knowing what buttons to push uh, in, in a job. It's a lack of key leadership skills, right? Sometimes called soft skills, right? Yeah. It's a lack of EQ is what almost 80% of CEOs say is the greatest threat facing businesses today. And that is a very scary and dangerous threat 
Because if we lose leadership in business, then the strength of our businesses in the country erode. And if the strength in our businesses erode, the strength of the U.S. economy erodes along with it. And it, and it drastically impacts our geopolitical position in the world. Mm -hmm. if, if our businesses are not strong in the United States, then we are not strong. And the, the, the businesses are the engine of our economy, particularly small businesses, startups, right? And if, if those businesses are the engine, what's the fuel? It's people. It's the, it's, the, it's the attitudes, it's the effort, it's the mindset, it's the fuel going into these businesses. And if you start looking at that as us as the fuel, and 10,000 baby boomers are retiring every day, and there's not that many Gen Xers, I don't, you're, you're probably a Gen Xer like me, there's not yep. that many of us, right? So all of those leadership gaps are falling to millennials and Gen, and Gen Zs who are ridiculously capable and talented people, right? They've, they're higher. They're, they've got more degrees than I do. They, most of them speak a bunch of languages. I always joke around and say things like they speak two languages. They play a musical instrument. They, they got straight A's in college, yet they can't look you in the eye when they're interviewing. Right. right. They can't hold a strong conversation. They job hop every two to four years. Yep. So I've got the greatest threat is a lack of key leadership skills and the largest population ever to exist entering the workforce that doesn't have them. This is a huge threat. And it's the biggest reason why if you are starting a business, you must, must chase purpose mm -hmm. and not just profit. Profit is the result. Purpose is the why. Right. And if you chase the why, the profit is the byproduct. That's the easy part. And guess what? People don't want to work for you just to put profit in your wallet. They want to work for you because they believe what you believe. And because of that, they're going to benefit along the way. I'm a huge believer, especially with startups, that everybody should have a piece of the business. Everybody. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Everybody. Yep. Everyone should be along for that ride because everybody should participate in the wins, if that's the case. And I'll tell you, this is uh, in many ways... Um, I often talk about, you know, a, a time for choosing in our country, you know, uh, famously uh, before he was president or ever into politics, Ronald Reagan gave a speech called a time for choosing. And it was, you know, in the night, it was 1964. It was, you know, communism was a major threat in the world. And he was basically speaking on how are we going to react? How are we going to respond to this? This is our time for choosing. And one of the things he said in it was that history, if, if we choose to do nothing about it, if we choose not to stand up in the face of the communism and socialism threat that's posed in the world, if we choose to do nothing, history will record with the greatest of astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. And that statement has forever lived with me because it can apply to so many different things, but it can specifically apply to businesses. If we all could recognize that there is a major threat in business and culture and leadership in our country today. And that threat uh, is exposed at a huge degree within our business community. If we could all align on that, we have the ability then to make a choice. And the beauty is we happen to live in a place where unlike my wife who came from South America, where you can't go from being dirt poor to being rich. The system is not set up to doing that. 
you can't have an idea and kind of follow and, you know, get support from different organizations and grants and small business loans and all these amazing things that happen as a, uh, in our country as a catapult. It doesn't exist. But in the U.S., it does. And it's our superpower. It's our USP. This is our country's uh, value. And the beauty of it is, is that we live in a system where our geniuses get to keep our IP. If you start a business, that IP is yours. It doesn't belong to a government. And that, I think, was the essence behind the speech in A Time for Choosing. And it's the essence around the choice that we have to make today as business leaders. This is our time for choosing. And so what is our purpose? What is our cause? What is it that we believe? And why does it matter? And how do we get other people to believe along with us? And then how do we then orchestrate and build and develop a playbook to achieve whatever it is that we want to achieve? Whether it's market penetration, whether it's I want to be number one, um, you know, which is a terrible North Star for business, by the way. If you go out as a business and say, our goal is to be number one in XYZ category, you're, you're a failure from the start. That's the result. That's the result. You know, at Mission, like we believe that heat-related illnesses and deaths are 100% preventable and survivable. And we have a system in place to make sure no one ever succumbs to a heat-related injury again, particularly when you look at who is most at risk. 91% of Hispanic workers in the United States are more likely to die of a heat-related illness. 51% mm -hmm. of black workers. Low-income communities are five times more likely to die. If you're an agricultural worker in the United States, you have a 20 times greater risk of fatality in the heat. And this happens at a time when the heat is getting worse every single year since we started measuring in 1964. And so if, if we have a a proven methodology of preventing that, then I know that an agricultural worker that uses what we offer gets to go home to their family every night. They get to sit down and help their daughter or son with homework. That is what matters. It's a focus on the purpose and not a focus on the result. It's so powerful. Just the way you tell that, <clears throat> that story is so compelling. And that's, that's your story. Every founder has their version of that story, right? And, Absolutely. And that ability to go tell it in a way that, you know, every word that you just said, Chris, is, is you know, deeply meaningful, right? Because it means something to you. You can tell it. It just, I can, you can feel it coming through the, you know, the screen, right? And every founder has that. Yeah. The ability to, it's not cliched. It's not, Fake when you go tell that story of why you're doing what you're doing, it not only are you going to build a great business, but you're going to bring along the people who need to go with you, right? You go out and you, if you need to raise money, I can tell you as a VC, that, per, that person who I can sit there with and they can tell me that story. And it's, you know, I've had situations where sitting there with founders, and they've got tears in their eyes trying to tell me how meaningful this is. That yeah. sticks with you, right? It sticks with you when you go to recruit, you know, the leader who probably has opportunities to go work and make a whole lot more money working for a larger company, but they go with you anyway. That stuff is so powerful, right? Oh my gosh. I, there's, there was a, and I don't remember his name, but Elon Musk, when he was starting Tesla, um, I'm sorry, not Tesla, SpaceX. Yep. Was basically trying to recruit all of the major people. Actually, I do think it was Tesla now. I'm sorry. 
um, he was trying to recruit all these big car executives right. to come and work for him. Yep. And there was one in the GM, you know, uh, ecosystem that looked at him and said, you're, you're insane. You know, th this is not going to work. I don't know why you think you can hire me away from what's been an established industry for eons. And the story was the reason you need to come and work for Tesla is because we are going to change the world. We're going to change the world through what we do. And when you break and unpack that and you see sort of what Musk has done with Tesla and what he's trying to do with SpaceX and you could throw darts at anything you want at the highest of levels. It doesn't matter how senior you are. I think certainly what I've learned now, I'm 45. I think when I was 25, it was, you know, like me pointing the finger at the problems in business and I'm going to go solve these issues. And, you know, there's competitors out there that I want to, and I I've gotten to a point where I don't point the fingers anymore. I use my thumbs. Mm -hmm. And what am I doing? What is my responsibility in this process to make an impact, not just an impression? How do I, how do I take more personal accountability and responsibility for what it is that I want to try to achieve? And if that is done authentically, without ego, it's, a, it, it's an automatic magnet for other talent of equal or greater to an equal or greater degree. Ego is probably the greatest single blind spot of entrepreneurs and people that start up businesses because you're so obsessed with your idea and you're, you, you figured out something that no one else figures out. And therefore, you know how it should be done every step of the way. Right. And if you, if ego gets in the way, it prevents other like-minded value-based leaders to come alongside with you and help catapult that journey. My college coach used to tell us that ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. <laughs> I have to repeat that. I always have to repeat it. Ego is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. I mean, it's so true. And I think the more I, you know, going from my twenties and thirties, I think my, my ego, the, it, everybody has one ego, ego's okay. You, there's having a strong, having ego strength and ego drive. Ego drive is it's all about me. Ego strength is it's all about you. Greg, I, you and I haven't spent a ton of time outside of this, but I would love to sit down with you and understand how you like what your VC uh, minded brain, how you're looking at, you know, categories of business. What are the questions you're asking today versus the ones you didn't ask five years ago because of what's happening in the world? I want to get as smart as I can on your universe because A, I'm curious as an individual. B, there's probably some connection points I can make for you with, uh, with respect to industry. And C, like at the end of that conversation, I'm, my saw is sharp I, because I've hung around with somebody, you know, without an ego admitting that I don't know all the answers, right? but I am a sponge of information and I want to learn. I want to absorb this. And I think that's probably the biggest revelation I've had um, over the course of, of being part of, of our company mission was that ego 
is the anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. And we run into it every day, every day. <laughs> that, that is the perfect place to end this, Chris. Um, that, uh, that is, uh, I, I could, I could literally sit here and have this conversation with you all day long. This, <laughs> and these are the, these are the things I think that I am absolutely most passionate about just from my, you know, days of, of starting businesses. And, you know, what you're talking about is not only is it, is it, incredibly important advice for founders on how to build their teams, but also the level of responsibility that goes with being a founder that's outside of your team. Right. And you're right. Totally agree. You know, it has to that your responsibility as a founder, it's not just about your team, right? It's about what are you, what are you actually doing to make things, um, to make things better. So um, That's it, Greg, and you just hit the word. If I had to put one word on this conversation and one word on defining leadership, it's the word responsibility. Yep. It's no longer pointing fingers. It's what's wrong with the situation. It's using your thumbs. Yep. What is the responsibility I can take on? What are the qualities that I can instill in myself in order to raise everyone else's game? And in so doing, we'll raise my game. It's responsibility. Yep. Absolutely. Chris, this is awesome. Um, how just Thank real quick, uh, mission.com is the website. Mission's the company. Um, right. If somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you to learn more about the business, about you, anything? Yeah, I, I'm super active on, I'm super active on LinkedIn. Um, I, you know, so please connect with me there. Uh, I, I, I'm constantly writing and, you know, trying to put good sort of uh, relevant content in the world, both on leadership and the, you know, the value proposition, I believe we bring to the table at mission, uh, would love to connect there and, and build connections and importantly, figure out ways to help each other. Um, you know, we are all in this together. And if this is our time for choosing, I choose to, uh, to, to be wide open to the prospect of helping elevate future rope holders into leadership roles, uh, you know, where relevant, cause we need it now more than ever. Yep. Well, that's great. So, um, so we'll put the link to LinkedIn. We'll put your profile um, link in the uh, in the show notes. Um, I got to say, I told Lily this. You and Lily both walk the walk on this stuff, which is really, you know, I, it, it, you both have pretty extraordinary backgrounds and careers, and um, you. you know, this podcast is pretty new. And I had reached out to Lily one day as a direct message. She doesn't know me and we had never met. And I said, Hey, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And I got an answer back in like five minutes saying, yeah, let's do it. When do you want to do this? Then we have Lily on and she's just an extraordinary guest with this unbelievable background. And at the end of it, we stopped recording and Lily and I are chatting and she said, Hey, let me help you get other guests as you're starting this. She said, let me, you know, if, if like, I'll, re I'll send people your way. And, and then she had said, as a matter of fact, I'm going to get you connected with my husband right now on text and, and you and I ended up, you know, connecting. So yeah. you guys really do walk the walk and it's, uh, it's pretty extraordinary to, uh, to Thank see you. you. Yeah. I, I, I married up. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so did I, we're both, uh, we're both lucky men, Chris, for sure. Blessed so man, uh, blessed man, for sure. That's right. That's right. Well, this is great. I uh, loved having you on, love to do it again. Like I said, I could talk about this stuff, uh, all day long. So, uh, we'll, uh, we'll get you back. Thanks, Chris. See you next Thank week you. on the Journey Podcast.